Good morning. Thank you. If you would turn in your packets to page 16 and 17, I'd like to invite you to open up your scripture packets and outlines to there. That is where you will find a passage from Luke chapter 5 that we're going to be looking at this morning. So welcome. Glad you could be here. Again, that's page 16 and 17. We'll be looking at that together, and we're going to read from that in just a moment. So at my house, in my living room, on my wall, there hangs a photograph. There's a picture. It is incredibly dear to me. So there you are in my living room. That's a little awkward. (laughs) Appreciate that media. There's this photograph of my wife and I with our oldest daughter. And most people who walk into our living room have seen that picture just like you did a moment ago. And they walk right by it because it is extremely ordinary, isn't it? Well, you see, my oldest child, uh, when she was born, was supposed to die. And she, according to all medical professionals, was given a 2% chance at living. And uh, due to incredibly complications with every basic function of life, my wife and I, several years ago, had our hearts broken because she received what felt like the sentence of death. And I remember 13 years ago, almost to the day, We prayed, and God saved her life. And so that picture hangs on my wall, and hardly anyone understands the significance of it. Because if you walk by it, you go, how delightfully ordinary. It's a black and white photograph. And maybe maybe most people don't think twice about it. But see, there's something very different that happens to me. It's very ordinary, but every time I walk by it, that picture that you saw preaches a sermon to me. It speaks to me, and in a very real way, it reminds me of the power of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, and the reality that He loves me. Now, I share that with you, not just to invite you into my living room, but because my job this morning, what I'm going to do for you, is to hold up a very, very ordinary picture. See, the passage that we're going to read right now is a very, very simple situation. The passage that we're going to read, I think a lot of people have read this, and it looks like a black and white photograph that they walk right by, and they probably don't get it. But this text is written in the Bible for you to likewise be moved by the love of God and the mercy of God. I bet you've heard before that God loves you, but I wonder if you have ever felt deeply that God loves you. We're going to read about that this morning. It's in Luke chapter 5. It's on page 16. Perhaps you could follow along while I read it for us. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Just a few verses. It says, while 
Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man who was full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Well, there we have a rather simple picture, don't we? We got Jesus. And we have one guy. But see, the context of what we just read informs it to be a picture of profound significance. Luke chapter 5, as we heard last night, it, it, it sits between two great, what I'm calling purpose statements of Jesus. So on page 16, I want to point out this photograph's literary frame. Right before this in Luke chapter 4, Jesus had said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, this is on page 16, to other towns, for I was sent for this purpose. That's Jesus' purpose statement about himself. And wouldn't you know, in Luke chapter 5, shortly after what we just read, we have this other purpose statement. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. So those two purpose statements act as a frame in between which we find Luke chapter 5 about the content of what Jesus has been doing. Think of it this way, because those are the two purpose statements, Luke chapter 5 is a little bit like an ancient Near Eastern Instagram of carefully curated photographs. For you to understand something unique about the purpose and the redemption that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it this way. Luke says, Jesus has come to preach. Then he doesn't tell you any content of Jesus' preaching. What does he do? He gives you photographs that preach. And here we have one of them. It's Luke and this, excuse me, Jesus and this guy, Luke says. And there are lots of people that Jesus healed, but there's something special. There were lots of conversations that Jesus had, but this one is significant. Luke singles out this one man, and he's saying, I want to upload this picture for you to think about. Because something about this helps you understand the welcome of Jesus. In other words, this picture speaks. And it's not just a personal thing for me and my family. It's for all of the family of God, if you listen carefully. Well, what do we hear in this encounter of Jesus and a man with leprosy? Here's the main point of this address. Luke, I believe, is telling us that the most lost people are most loved people. The point of this passage and this small encounter is to convince you that the most lost people are most loved people. Some of y'all look a little confused. Allow me to demonstrate. The first point that you see on your outline is that this picture tells us about leprosy and lostness. Begin with me again at verse 12 and look at what we have written for us. It says that while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man 
who was full of leprosy. So do me a favor, and maybe if you have a pen or a highlighter, underline or highlight that word, leprosy. Leprosy. Leprosy is a skin disease, but to a Jewish person, it was not a narrowly defined condition that we might have today. You know, we would call leprosy Hansen's disease or something like that. No, there are lots of conditions, lots of afflictions that could go under that umbrella of leprosy. So we read the Bible here, and we don't know what type of leprosy this guy has. Luke doesn't emphasize in our passage that the man has leprosy, and he doesn't tell you about the diagnosis and get into the details of what the guy looked like, even though Luke is a doctor. Luke emphasizes, did you see it? That the man is full of leprosy. In other words, it's the fullness of the issue that is on display in this text. It's the comprehensiveness of his issue that stands out in the author's mind. So Luke wants his readers to know, and he wants his readers to know about Jesus. He wants to know about the welcome that is offered by him. But the first step to such an understanding is to understand the misery of this man's estate. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. This man is lost. How lost is he? Well, I put it on your sheet. To have leprosy means to have a condition of physical affliction, emotional devastation, and spiritual separation. Physical affliction, emotional devastation, and spiritual separation. I remember a couple of years ago, my wife, Megan, she found a, a mole on her skin. And you know what the doctors tell you to do when you find a mole on your skin is you're supposed to, well, go to the doctor. And she went to a dermatologist, which scraped some of it off and said, hey, guess what, just so you know, we're going to have to send this to the lab for testing. We got very anxious. And they sent it off to the lab, and we waited, saying, well, they're going to call us and tell us if there's anything wrong or if there's any issue because you know in our culture one of the most difficult things you can hear is get a call from the doctor and they say I'm sorry but it's cancer that'd be a devastating thing to hear well what that's probably what happened to this man he probably woke up one morning he found a spot on his skin and the book of Leviticus tells us more that there are extensive instructions that are supposed to happen to you if you find a spot on your skin, except it didn't get better. It got worse. And the job of a priest, the job of a priest would have been to call this guy, maybe show up at his house and say, hey, um, guess what? It's leprosy. It's leprosy. And there's nothing we can do. We're sorry. That's a physical affliction. And I bet some of you know exactly what it is like to live with debilitating sickness or to have chronic pain or health issues. And one of the most cruel things about that, it feels like no one understands. Well, wouldn't you believe this man does? Not only does he have leprosy, do you see what it says? He's at the advanced stage of the condition. But look with me at the second half of the verse, in verse 12. It says that this man, with this physical affliction, quote, fell on his face and begged him. Here's what he says. 
Here's his line. If you will, you can make me clean. In other words, the physical trouble is not the only focus that Luke wants you to recognize. The man in this passage does not ask Jesus to be healed. That's very important and a little bit weird because, you know, usually if you're sick, and there are many others in the Gospel of Luke that's like this, the focus is on becoming well. Luke is a doctor. Luke knows this. If you're sick, you want to get better. Well, not here. The author says this man doesn't say, Jesus, please make me better, although that is in mind. The author says that this man says the thing, the issue on his mind is that he wants to be cleansed. Why would he say that? We don't really speak like that that much these days. The reason for this is that in ancient Near Eastern culture, they have a category to explain the fact that pain, pain goes way past physical issues, doesn't it? The pain of life goes past physical and it can extend into emotional and spiritual pain and other realms of distress that you can feel. And I am willing to bet you know exactly what I'm talking about. Many of the wounds that we carry, they're, they're more than just physical ailments, aren't they? There's lots of levels to distress. I remember in middle school, a memory that stands out to me is changing in the locker room at school. You see where this is going? I, I don't exactly know. I can't remember the details of it. All I remember is, is being in a locker room for gym class changing. And I don't exactly remember exact the type of flavor of body shaming that came out of my friend's mouth, but he pointed at me and said something mean. And again, I couldn't tell you the quote, but all I know is that something came alive in me that day. There was a pain that I felt that day. And the issue that sprung alive was, I think it's shame. I think it's that the thing that is wrong with me in this world is like me. I don't really like me. That's shame. That's an awareness of defilement. That's being filth conscious. And friends, in the Bible, leprosy is meant to exemplify that. The man has physical issues, but he has more than that. He has an emotional devastation. Look at what Leviticus says. Look at what Leviticus says. It says, the leprous person who has this disease, this is on page 16, shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. Okay, this man suffers from isolation. You understand? This guy signed up for the loneliness breakout. But then they told him he couldn't come. That's next level loneliness. It's illegal for him to be in fellowship. And not only that, he's supposed to call attention to his loneliness. So he's a social contaminant. The dude is acting out a funeral every single day. That's some emotional devastation. Friends, this is in the Bible for you to see physical affliction, emotional devastation, and also spiritual separation. I see this in verse 12 as well. Look at what he says, or rather, look at what he does. It says that he, his posture, is that he fell on his face. Why do you fall on your face? 
what's meant by that gesture. You know, like if you get down on one knee in a proposal, there's something meant by that gesture. Well, this is not that. Why do you, when you fall on your face, the point of falling on your face is to put maximum distance between yourself and the other person. That's falling on your face. It is a posture of utter unworthiness. It's let me put maximum distance between Jesus' face and my face so mine will hit the floor. And that is this man's reality, my friends. He's saying when it comes to how I think about God, I know I'm not allowed in the temple. I know I'm not allowed around other believers. When I think about God, there's this gap. I am down here, and Jesus, you are up there. The Bible says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And this man knew his Old Testament. I hope you see the picture. He's saying, compared to you, God, I'm a walking corpse. There's a separation. There's a separation. And the fancy Bible word for that is iniquity. And he feels it. And all of this is rolled into this package. It is rolled into this image. It is under that wonderfully highlighted word, leprosy. And it's supposed to have us pause and read it and slow down. And don't walk past the picture too quickly, but stop and reflect and maybe consider with me. Are there any lepers here? Like, see, aren't people today a little bit like the walking dead? That spiritual separation causes emotional devastation and even leads to physical affliction. Is that a thing? I, I believe if you observe people, people apart from God, they're living, but they're not really living. There's a condition that happens in our world that can make you feel isolated and it can make you feel defiled. Your GPA can be high, but your life can be low. Your home can be big, but your life can be empty. You can come to an event and smile, but your joy can be fleeting. And I know that for many of us here, there's a pain that you can carry. You can't shake it, you can't fake it, you can't fix it, you can't change it. The best picture for you to understand yourself is what the Bible says about that word, leprosy. Unclean. Leprosy is the analogy for that deep down unlovable feeling. And here it is. This man is lost. And it is in that context that we encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. How good is Jesus? How awesome is he and the redemption to be found in his name? Well, here's the plot twist of point number two. It is into that context that we see Christ and our cherishing. Christ and our cherishing. How does Jesus interact with that most unlovable person? It's in verse 13. Look along, look along with me at verse 13. It says, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Notice the parts of that verse that move very, very slowly. And notice the parts of that verse that move very, very quickly. Look, look at what I mean. There, there are parts of that text where the action slows down. Where is it slow? Here it is. Stretched out 
his hand and touched him. That's agonizingly slow. And what part moves fast? Leprosy gone. What's Luke doing? Well, the action slows down here to do a literary climax sort of situation. The action slows down here because everybody knows something that Luke knows as well. You know it. Avoid gross things. That's what you know. Everybody knows that. You didn't need a pandemic to teach you that. Everybody knows that, right? I take my kids to public restrooms sometimes, and they don't even teach this in dad school, right? But this thing just comes out of you when you take a kid to a public restroom. You yell, don't touch anything. <laughs> and you know why you do that? You do that because you don't want to quickly or accidentally touch something gross and then over time develop a disease. Everybody knows that. Luke has flipped that around, hasn't he? Oh, and this is marvelous for us to see. Luke has flipped that around to build towards the climax of this narrative. Luke has flipped that around for you to feel the tension of this story because Jesus deliberately reaches out his hand and touches him. And we're meant to learn about the wonder of Jesus. We're meant to see the welcome of Jesus. Three things you see on page 17. What do we see? We see that Jesus, his power is real. That verse is a reversal of what anybody, anybody, anybody thought was possible. The man becomes clean. In other words, that's the opposite. That is the reversal of everybody's and every single intuition that you could ever possibly understand. Don't touch gross things because that's how uncleanness works. But this is a deliberate role reversal of everything. And this narrative is drawing our attention to the wonder and to the power of God. Do you realize that nothing is impossible for God? Uh, a missionary friend of mine serves overseas. And he came back to America with his son, and he was telling me about a conversation he had with his little boy. His little boy grew up overseas where life is very, very complicated and different from in America. So as they were driving around in Pennsylvania, his son said, Dad, I'm hungry. And his dad said, oh, don't worry, son, I'll get you something to eat. And, his, and his, the son said, Dad, it's just utterly hopeless. There's no way I can get something to eat. This is because the son is used to life in another country where it takes a long time. And his dad says, no, 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 son, we're in America. I can get you something to eat in five minutes. And his son says, Dad, no way. <laughs> the dad says, yes way. And the son says, stop messing with me, Dad. And the dad says, no, I'm going to go through what's called a drive through the son says, um, no, that doesn't exist. Stop messing with me. And he says, no, there's a drive through There's a place you can drive and food will happen. I will provide for you. No way. And he says, watch, there's this place. And he's kind of awkwardly explaining a drive through There's like a talking sign and <laughs> you go through and they just give you food. And all of this kid's plausibility structures, are, his mind is just blown. And he says, no. Eventually, they go through a drive-thru. His dad, the dad, provides for the son, and his mind is blown. <laughs> but in, a, in, a, in that moment, that snapshot was very helpful to me because his reflex was to look at his loving father and say, Dad, no way. There's absolutely no way. 
I find that is exactly how Christians talk to their heavenly father. I find that there are Christians out there who, sure, they believe in the power of God and they confess that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, but their plausibility structures, when they look at their lives, it's like they're just raised in a culture where things don't change. That's at least how how they think. And so they look at their hopeless situation and their hunger pangs and they say, Father, no way could you do that. That's how Christians live. They think about God in a way that is disconnected from real life. Another way to say that is friends, people, Christians, Christian people lack hope. And if that's you, I want you to look at this man. Because this man has a broken body, but he's got some really good theology. Because he doesn't say, I know you want to heal me, Jesus, if you can. Wrong. He says, Jesus, I know that I am not too hopeless for you. He says, I know that you can heal me if you will. And the resolution to the tension, the the way that this passage says, and it is beckoning you to believe, is that Jesus does something that no other priest before him has ever pulled off. See, a priest's job, when a leper comes, as I told you in Leviticus 13, they're to inspect priests, our health inspectors, per Leviticus 13. And Jesus shows up and says, yeah, I am no health inspector. Jesus is a health creator. And for the first time in history, cleanliness has become contagious and hopelessness is reversed. My friends, that is the power of God. What does this mean for you? You know what this means? It means that God is real. You know what this means? It means that Jesus controls galaxies and the subatomic. Therefore, for you, very practically, my friends, reject hopeless living. Reject a narrative of a life that says, oh, this can't change, no way, God. Reject hopeless living. There is no situation that is truly hopeless. None. Because his power is real. His power is real. Number two, we see here that his heart is willing. Oh, how marvelous is this. We see this in verse 13. Not only is God's power real, we learn that Jesus, his heart, is willing. I take it that you can see in verse 13, Jesus' reply to this man's plea is he says, I will. Other translations say, Uh, Yeah, I am willing. I am willing. In other words, Jesus is delighted to have leper man on his team. The most lost person, Jesus says, yes. And his heart is willing. Why on earth would Jesus save this guy? I want you to think about the last time you tried to decide to do something big. Bear with me for a second. The last time you had a big decision to make, like an exercise of your will about what you're willing to do, you know, the professionals tell you, what you should do is um, get out a piece of paper and make a list of pros and... Right. So uh, you're supposed to decide, and if the pros outweigh the cons, then you, I guess that's how you do it. Okay, I want you now to imagine Jesus getting out a piece of paper 
and making a list of pros and cons about whether to heal this guy. Well, this could get a little bit awkward. Let's start with the cons. <laughs> he's a sinner. Like he's sinned. He's done things, he's thought things. He, not really a rock star morally. Jesus could say, well, um, on top of that, he probably hasn't showered. Like, remember, he's supposed to keep his hair unkempt and shout unclean, unclean, unclean. I don't think he's going to be like a big name in the kingdom or anything. He hasn't really hung out with anybody, so I'm guessing he's a little bit socially awkward. And on and on and on he could go. Oh, and he's a sinner. He probably has a lot of struggles that are implicit in his life. He, he's, he doesn't have a lot that's necessarily going for him. And oh yeah, oh yeah, he has a contagious disease. That's the other thing. A lot of cons. Then maybe we can, let's move over to the pro column quick because this is getting depressing. Maybe Jesus is thinking and trying to decide what are the pros? Well, this man has nothing. Like of all of the people in Luke chapter 5, this guy has nothing. All of the other people, well, maybe they have at least something. Simon Peter last night, fishing business, right? That's kind of cool, at least, right? Levi, guy at the end of the chapter, he's got some money. The paralytic, he's unable, but man, he's got a couple of friends, at least. This guy has nothing. So what on earth could possibly make Jesus want him? What could possibly get onto the pro list? Jesus is probably, would he have to rack his brain to think about what is the single most compelling reason? Why on earth do it? There are a lot of cons. What could possibly outweigh those cons in the pro column? What would Jesus write? You know what Jesus would write? I think the reasoning of Jesus sounds like this. Lots of cons. Here's the pro. The pro is, I am kind. That's the pro. In other words, Jesus' willingness has nothing to do with the guy. Jesus' willingness has nothing to do with the thing that is inside of him, the man, the leper. Jesus' eagerness and grace and heart has everything to do with himself. And so many people don't realize that. They come to God. So many people come to God and they say, God, you should love me because I, God, you should let me into heaven because I, if you start the sentence, by the way, God, you should let me into heaven because I, it's already the wrong answer. The Bible says that, God, you accept me because you. You accept me because of your willingness, because of your heart, because of your mercy. His heart is willing. Look at the quote that's at the top of your sheet. This says this, everybody else loves you because of something that is true about you. But God loves you because of something that is true about him. He loves you because of who he is, not who you are. There is more love in God than there is knowledge in you. And I think that is why there is no flinching. There's no recoiling. Jesus doesn't look at this man and say, oh, okay. 
There's no disdain and there's no reproach. It is God's delight to heal. So let's ask that question again. What does this man have? What does he have? You know what he has? He has the love of the living God. And that's enough. And that's enough. And see, it's even more exciting. In the Old Testament, the love of God, the love of God was offered to us in many, many word pictures. I put one of them on your outline. Look, it says this. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Psalm 103 says, as far as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Do you hear the image? The image of vastness. Well, that image... That vastness comes to a redemptive, historical climax and is now in Luke chapter 5. It is revealed to us in the Son. So friends, you know we don't have just a word picture anymore. A word picture is one thing. We have a willing person. A willing person. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. That's the love of God. And so I wonder... I wonder, what is on your list about why God can't love you? What have you mentally written down about all of your cons? This passage is beckoning you, my friends, to embrace that you are loved. Embrace that you're loved. The heartbeat and the basis of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, it never had anything to do with you. So let your heart feel it. Let yourself be moved by it. Because what must it have been like for this guy to have nothing, to have nothing, but suddenly now through the embrace of Jesus to be dignified? What would it have felt like to be filthy, but to be embraced? And to look at the Savior and realize... (laughs) His heart is willing. His heart is willing. His power is real. His heart is willing. Number three is this, is that his aim is restoration. His aim is restoration. Look at verse 14. It says this, And he charged him to tell no one. But he said, quote, Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Okay, so as this narrative comes to a close, as this tension resolves, the reversal of this man's condition is that there is a transformation from shame to confidence. Did you notice that? As the issue wraps up, Jesus tells him, listen, I want you to do something. Go and find reconnection and reinstatement to the worship of God in community. Like, go to the breakout. (laughs) Jesus sends him to the priest, and the Bible does not say this, but down the line, this man would have heard, welcome home, brother. Welcome home. And I bet his head was lifted high. I bet his walk was probably a little bit more confident. The great lesson, of course, is that the love of God in your life is about way more than fixing your problems. The love of God in your life is meant to restore you 
to a place of honor and to what you are redeemed and called to be. I think many people know what they're saved from. Maybe you're at this conference and you've chosen your breakouts because you know the issues that you need to, quote, have fixed your mental health problems. Maybe some people know my sins, my past, and my hell. That's true. But friends, also, the Bible says that fewer people know what they are saved for. That there is a dignity and a dignified purpose and a redeemed calling that God has called you into. Worship of the one true God and to be restored unto that. So some of you may be living, you may just be living like you're unloved. And I want to invite you this morning to look at this passage, to look at this simple picture and hear and see the heart of Jesus. Most lost people are most loved people. And just in case you think that's some fairy tale, or just so that you know that this is not pie in the sky and not applicable to you, The last thing I want you to see before we close is that the love of God in this passage is substantiated. Jesus makes very clear that this is not just for him, it's also for you. So the first thing we saw was leprosy and our lostness. The second thing we saw here is Christ and our cherishing. Number three, the way this passage ends, we see substitution and our salvation substitution in our salvation. Look at how this little paragraph ends. Something epic happens in verse 15 and 16. Read it with me. It says, but now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad, and now great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Okay, I want you to see what the author has done. You see what the author has done? Jesus tells the man to go make an offering. And as the man is making an offering, the man is making an offering while Jesus is withdrawing. Do you see that? The way that this paragraph is written, you've seen movies that have split-screen scenes going on, like parallel scenes happening at the same time. It's two things that are simultaneous, but the scene cuts back and forth between the two. Movies do that really well. These two things are happening parallel to one another. I think what's happening is Luke is employing that technique here to say, wait a minute, Jesus said to the man, go offer a sacrifice that Moses commanded. So if you're doing good Bible study, you should ask, what is the sacrifice that Moses commanded? What's the guy doing? The command we read is in Leviticus 14. We don't have to wonder. It's right here. In Leviticus 14, on, page, on, on your packet, it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, wait a minute, so this is the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and then the case of, if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, like this guy, then the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed, two live, clean birds, and cedar wood, and scarlet yarn, and hyssop. Bear with me. Let's read verse 5. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. 
He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and, and, the, and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. So he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who's to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. Now pardon me if that passage seems weird to you. Why the Old Testament is talking about birds that are being commanded to be killed for sacrifice. I want you to see that that's in the Old Testament and that's written plainly because that is the command that the man was actually doing. Do you see what's happening in Luke chapter 5? So wait a minute. This man was to go into the priest and, 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 and execute this command for his restoration. And there's a ceremony being acted out. One bird is made captive. The other bird is set free. This is the picture that's given in the law of Moses. One bird is supposed to be killed. And the other bird is supposed to be washed and set free. That's the sacrifice. And Jesus says, I want you to go make that sacrifice while Jesus starts to withdraw from the crowds. My friends, what is happening is that Luke has written this with deliberate parallelism for you to understand what it takes for the love of God to be extended to you. See, this, as this man is being set free, as the leper is skipping back into town, as he is going through the motions of this ceremonial law, Luke is letting the reader know Jesus is being restricted as he is being set free. See, as this one man is being cleansed and Jesus says, I will, Luke is letting the reader know that it is coming that Jesus is going to be killed. Jesus is going to be that bird whose blood is going to be shed so that this man can be washed. Because touching a leper is awkward, isn't it? Touching a leper is identification. Touching a leper is substitution. If you touch somebody and make them clean, Jesus, Jesus is not only saying, I'm willing to make you clean. Jesus in this text is saying to this leper, I am willing for you to make me unclean. And that is the love of God. The sacrifice of Moses, the killing of birds, that is a picture that is pointing to the climax of the Gospel of Luke. It is meant to signal for you to understand what is happening when Jesus is nailed to a Roman cross. Jesus is superseding every high priest before him, not only in declaring health rather than inspecting health, but Jesus is also going to offer himself as a sacrifice of atonement. What does it cost Jesus to reverse your shame? The cost of reversing shame is Christ's humiliation. The cost of removing captivity is Jesus' bondage. The cost of cleaning up his filth is Jesus becomes defiled. And the cost of looking at you, my friend, and honoring you is Jesus' shame. And I think this is why John, who was there perhaps to see this encounter happen, would write this later on. This is at the bottom of your sheet. It says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, this picture of the leper is not just about the leper. 
It is meant for the entire family of God. This picture is supposed to speak. My friends, I know you have secret things about you. My friends, I know that you struggle with intrusive thoughts. My brothers and sisters, I understand that you can relate very well to the phrase dirty thoughts. Friends, perhaps you have gone, you've gone to God for help before in the past, and that is wonderful and valid. Perhaps you've asked and prayed that God would assist you in various activities of your life, but here is my challenge as we close. Have you ever gone to God for cleansing? Have you ever asked that he would forgive not only your shortcomings and your transgressions and your sins, but your iniquities, the things about you that maybe you don't even like about you, the ways that you fall short every single day and are disgusted with yourself from time to time? Maybe this conference is an opportunity for the first time for you to bend the knee and in humility say, God, if you will, you can make me clean. And he is delighted to answer that prayer. The most lost people are most loved people. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would draw near to anybody in this room who deeply feels unworthiness. God, I pray that you would fill us by your spirit a powerful sense of assurance that you love us, not because of anything in us, but because you are kind, but because you are gracious, because you delight to lavish your kindness and goodness. God, I pray that this picture would nourish our souls and assure us of the redemption that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that if anyone here does not know what it means to be cleansed, that you would reach down and save them this morning. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus and in the security of his love. Amen.